Fertility. This is Amanda and Kat, and we are so excited. We have Alyssa with us today from Fun with Fertility, and she is going to be talking to us about her termination for medical reasons, her multiple rounds of IVF, um, all of the genetic testing that she's had done, and just her, her entire story. So welcome, Alyssa. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. We're so excited. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So first and foremost, because I know listeners love to stalk our guests before they listen. So your Instagram is at fun with fertility. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. So check her out. Maybe look her up real quick. She shares you share pretty much your whole journey from the beginning. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't start the Instagram until 2020, but, um, my story goes back to, I guess, 2018, kind of before that, but it really starts in 2018. So, um, I went back to the beginning and just put it all out there. I love yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, that's a good segue. So do you want to start with, um, kind of your fertility journey, you know, in 2018 or even before that? Yeah. Um, well, so my husband and I got married in 2013, but we were kind of young. We weren't even 30 yet. So we put off the whole baby thing for a while. We were like, you know, we're going to have a couple years of it just being us and have fun. And I always thought that um, 28 sounded like a good age to start having, you know, thinking about babies and I think I just got it from, that's how old my mother was when I was born and I'm the oldest and that just sounded good to me. But when I got there, I, I was totally not in that frame of mind at that age. So I was like, well, let's just, you know, put yeah. it aside <laughs> for now. And um, when I got to 30, I said, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so it wasn't until I got to 32 and I was like, you know, I think now would be a good time. So um, my first stop was just to my OB and I said, you know, I'd been on birth control for years. I started when I was 18 in college on the pill. And I said, is there anything I need to do before going off the pill or anything like that? And she said, well, do you have any interest in doing genetic testing? You know, just to see if you're a carrier for anything. And I think that this is something that all OBs, gynecologists should ask when somebody tells them, hey, I'm going to start trying to conceive. I think that that's a question that they should always ask. Um, yeah, because- Alyssa, do you mind sharing where you live? Because I feel like that's so rare for an OB to just right off the bat do that. But I agree with you. Yeah, um, I live in North Carolina. Um, I So I'm right outside of Raleigh. So my OB is in Raleigh itself. That sounds like an awesome OB. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually, so I'm a Ashkenazi Jewish and there's actually a specific Jewish panel that they, of diseases that they test for because, um, we just are, tend to be carriers for a lot of diseases, um, unfortunately. So that was one of the reasons why she asked me, she knew that, um, she knew my background. So it was just a cheek swab. So I said, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's so. Um, <laughs> no reason to say no, in my opinion. She said, you know, probably you'll come back with nothing, but at least you'll know. Um, but I did come back as a carrier for something, and they said, okay, so if you come back as a carrier for something, then they test your partner and see if he's a carrier for the same thing. Um, which again, they said it's probably not going to happen. The odds of you both being a carrier for the same thing is very rare. 
well, you know where this is going, right? Um, they tested my husband and we were a carrier for the same thing. So isn't that crazy? Like what are the chances? Yeah. Very, very low, especially since, um, my husband's only half Jewish. So we figured it wasn't going to happen. Um, I'm sure you were like, yeah, no, it's fine. But that's the doctor was because I feel like so many people don't do this part. Right. Yeah. So we, um, we found out and this was information that we had. So they sent us to meet with a genetic counselor who told us our options were, you know, we could get pregnant and then do genetic testing on the fetus to see if it was affected. Um, we could do IVF and test the embryos Mm -hmm. and, um, or we could skip the whole thing and adopt. So the chances were, um, the odds were in our favor, right? Um, so simple genetics, if, mom and dad are both a carrier. And so then the baby has a 50% chance of also being a carrier for the disease, a 25% chance of having the disease, um, and a 25% chance of not even being a carrier. So a 75% chance of being healthy. So with those odds, we figured, well, I I guess we're just going to try and, and see what happens and do the testing. So, um, so after I, that, our, our first, can I ask, so yeah. I absolutely don't, you don't need to share what, what you guys tested positive for, for carriers, but is it, was it like a life-threatening genetic disorder or was it something that like, how does, do they, can they tell you? They can. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, um, it's something called Joubert syndrome. So it is something that we had never heard of. And actually my doctor had never heard of it either. She had to look it up and, um, it's not a fatal condition. Um, it's not like, uh, Tay-Sachs is kind of the most known of those diseases. That's, um, a fatal diagnosis, but it has a fairly long list of both mental and physical potential disabilities that go along with it. So it's not great. Yeah. That's really scary. That's a really scary position to be put in. But again, I mean, I, I would have, I would have chosen the exact same thing. 75% chance there's, there's no, no, you know, he's not a carrier. He or she's not a carrier or affected. Um, absolutely. I know for me, after our third miscarriage, they did what you did from the beginning. They're like, Hey, let's genetically test you. And I remember, I mean, isn't it like 250 different things come back? Like for that. It's a lie. And then once we did, once we had that first one um, come back with something, then they did the more intense testing, which requires the blood draw. And that's a a even longer list of things that it tests for. And fortunately, neither one of us was a carrier for anything else. Well, that's awesome. Sorry, that's right. At least that, you know, it wasn't more than just not just the one because that's still so scary, but right multiple (laughs) yeah it wasn't more than one thing so um, So at this point you're like okay we're geared up we're ready to go we're gonna start trying yes um and then so i went off the pill and nothing happened (laughs) period did not show up so um i actually have my own diagnosis that i have something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia which is another somewhat rare disease it's actually not as rare um as people think it is, it's just very underdiagnosed. Um, a lot of people with who actually have CAH get misdiagnosed with PCOS. 
Um, which I call CEH kind of a cousin of PCOS. They have a lot of similarities, but the actual diagnosis itself is very different. Um, so I have that and, you know, one of the potential side effects. So we figured that was the cause of my period not showing up despite me having my period regularly before going on the pill. But, um, you know, at this point I'd been on the pill for 14 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, product of our generation, like anybody that's now in their thirties have, you know, that was just something they did like 16, 17, 18, here you go. Yeah, absolutely. And it was great in college. I didn't have to worry about, you know, it being a situation I didn't want to be in. So sure. Uh, And after that, you know, and, and even when we got married and, but we weren't ready to have a kid yet. So, but so we went to my endocrinologist and he put me on a steroid to see if that would help kind of jumpstart my system and cause me to ovulate and get a period and everything. Well, again, we were waiting and waiting and nothing happens. Um, so we had, oh, we had started with the fertility clinic. My, um, my OB, again, when my period didn't show up, she sent me, knowing I had this diagnosis, she sent me straight to the fertility clinic. So I also didn't have to do that like six months to a year of trying before getting referred to the fertility clinic. My doctor did it right away. Again, awesome doctor. (laughs) Absolutely. She's the best. So, um, so I was already working at the fertility clinic and my period wasn't showing up and we were, oh, so it was the fertility doctor who um, worked with my endocrinologist to put me on the steroid, which was dexamethasone, which um, I know others in the fertility community have been on this and Plenty of people have been on it without any issues at all, but I hated it. Really? It was so bad for me. I had the worst side effects. I have never heard of it before. Yeah. What are some of the side effects? I can only imagine like probably like, I'm just, I'm not even going to go try to make them up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I was, um, and I found out way later, this is going, jumping like four years into the, like, well, two or three years into the future. I found out later that my endocrinologist had put me on a very high dosage of it. Um, and that was part of my problem, even though it was only one milligram. So that tells you how strong this drug is. Wow. Oh my goodness. That is insane. It was crazy, but, uh, I, I gained a ton of weight. I was just swollen everywhere. Um, just like the worst feeling ever. <laughs> that was the worst of it. Like I looked in the mirror and didn't recognize myself. Oh, that's horrible. Alyssa. I'm so sorry. Especially cause yeah. you know, obviously wanting a baby and that's stressful in itself. And then to now look at yourself and like, you don't feel confident in your skin or whatever it may be. That's so hard. Yeah, it was really hard. So then, um, again, nothing was happening. So I was like, what is going on? And then finally I went to to the bathroom one day and saw a little bit of blood and I was like, Oh, thank God. Um, I called the fertility (laughs) clinic right away and said, you know, can you see me tomorrow? And they said, yeah, yeah, come in tomorrow morning. And I went in, so they went to do the baseline ultrasound to see what was going on. And I was pregnant. Wow. Wait, so, so, okay, hold on, back up just a second. So at this point, cause I know like, I'm sure as all of us, you know, as women, we've done this probably like a hundred times. I know I have, but like, take a million pregnancy tests. Like if I'm like, even like a day late, think, okay, maybe this is it. I'm pregnant. Like at any of this point, did you think possibly you could be pregnant or no? 
Absolutely not, because I I had no idea that the steroid had worked because um, I hadn't gotten a period. Yeah. So, so that was um, like the shock of a lifetime. Absolutely. And then after I found out, I realized, okay, these symptoms that I'd been assuming were side effects from the steroid were not. They were symptoms of being pregnant. Sure. <laughs> oh my god. But gosh. I had never been pregnant, so I had no idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know either. Okay, so they do this baseline scan and they're like, um, you're pregnant. Yeah, my my response was when when the doctor said that, uh, my extremely eloquent response was, what? (laughs) (laughs) Because at that point, you know, this was my first, like, it might have been my first, you know, transvaginal ultrasound. So sure. you know, at, at this point, I feel like I can look at an ultrasound and I know exactly what I'm looking at. But right. back then I had no clue. Yeah, sure. I mean, of course. So Wait, how far along were you? Say, how far along were you? Six weeks. Oh my goodness. That's so crazy. <laughs> so I, um, just out of coincidence, my parents were visiting that week and I had taken that day off from work. So it was no big deal for me to go to the doctor. And then from the doctor, I drove straight to my husband's office mm-hmm. with the little ultrasound picture printed out in my hand. Um, and then when I got there, he was on a conference call. So like I texted him and I was like, hey, can you come outside? And he was like, no. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he knew I'd been to the doctor. So he was like, okay, what happened? Yeah. Um, so we did that. So then I was pregnant and everything was was good. And so then the genetic testing they do is you have to wait until at least 12 weeks mm-hmm. because the CVS procedure, um, chorionic villi sampling. Yeah, you had a CVS. I mean, that's invasive. Yes. So what they do is um, they go in and take a, through the cervix if they can Um they actually do an, an ultrasound first to see where the placenta is um, and if they can get to it via, you know, cervically or if they have to go in abdominally. And fortunately, they were able to just go in cervically and they kind of use a catheter to take off a chunk of the placenta. Oh, wow. And pull it out and they put it in a test tube and that's what they send out for testing because the placenta has um, all the genetic information in it. Mm-hmm. So that's why they can't do it any earlier because the placenta needs to be big enough for them to go in and get a chunk of it. And it really isn't big enough for them to do that until you're about 12 weeks along. Mm-hmm. So they did that. And then it was a very long two week wait. I was going to say, so I work, yep. So I work in high risk, uh, maternal fetal medicine and. Oh yeah. This is where this was done. Time, and I was going to say the weight is the worst. I mean, I know you're so lucky. I think 90% do go through the abdomen and I, that's really, awesome. yeah, that's awesome. At least in, from what I've seen. Um, so that's awesome. But that weight to get the results is. It was, it was terrible. So then, um, the day, so this was, so this is 2018, um, so September 2018, and you guys, so you guys are in South Carolina, right? I'm in North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you remember, you know, September 2018 was Hurricane Florence. Mm-hmm. So um, because of the impending hurricane, I was actually working from home this day, which of course in 2018 was a weird thing. 
Um, it didn't happen very often, but I was, um, my husband had gone to the office, but my, my office, I think had closed because they were concerned about power lines going down and things like that because of the winds. And I had been lazy. I had taken advantage of working from home. I didn't take, get up and take a shower. Um, I got up and did some work and then I took a break and I went and took a shower around 11, 1130. And when I got out of the there was a voicemail on my phone and it was the genetic counselor and the voicemail said, call me back when you're somewhere private. Oh gosh. That's like the worst thing to hear. It is. Yeah. So my heart just dropped because I mean, I knew what that meant. Yeah. Immediately your mind is going straight to worst case scenario. Exactly. Um, so I called her back and and she said, you know, I'm I'm so sorry. I know this wasn't, you know, the outcome we were expecting or what we wanted, but the baby does have Schubert. Um she was like, you know, is termination what you guys are still want to do? Because that was what we had said originally, but we didn't think we would ever actually have to make the choice follow through yeah mm-hmm. and at, this, at this point you're 14 15 weeks pregnant yes wow yeah so um so i said well i i have to talk to my husband i'll call you back and she said yeah of course and um by this time it was noon so i knew my husband had gone to lunch so i called him and all I could say was that I talked to the genetic counselor's name is Emily. And I just said, I talked to Emily and I just burst into tears. And he said, I'm coming home right now. Mm. You know? So then we just, we had to talk about it and, you know, we hadn't changed our minds. It was still, you know, what we felt was the right decision. Sure. Um, so I called, you know, the, the counselor back and she arranged everything so and then of course so in north carolina there's a 72-hour waiting period um that they they call you and kind of read you whatever it is the paper says about you know going through this process um and then you have to wait 72 hours so the earliest this was on a thursday and they could not get me in until Tuesday was the earliest Um, partly because of the 72 hours and partly because, you know, because of the hurricane, they'd pushed people's procedures out. They'd canceled everything one day and pushed them out one day. So like, you know, we couldn't even do Monday because Friday's procedures had been moved to Monday. Yeah. And it's just like, you're carrying this child and I, I can't even, oh my goodness. It was, it was so over the weekend. And I told my husband beforehand, I was like, tell them, I just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Like, you know, don't ask me how I'm doing, you know, nothing, just, we're not going to talk about it. I think like, and I, I haven't had to go through that same experience, but you know, like having a DNC or being told, mm-hmm. you know, after you've heard the heartbeat and being told like, you have to, it, it's not a viable pregnancy. You know, I've had to wait over the weekend and like, it's just something that you and your partner have to go through together is it's just bizarre because you can say, I mean, all three of us can say like 90% of families have not had to go through that together. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really unique and sad and, and bonding experience. Cause you have to be on the same page about such a big 
decision. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was, you know, one good thing about it was that my husband and I were both on the same page about it always, you know, beginning to end that we always agreed, you know, what the best decision was for us. Yeah. Do you feel like you had, I know you said you like met with your in-laws and stuff. Did they have opinions about it? I know you told them not to talk about it. So I just know just going through things, obviously there's always an outsider has some kind of opinion or did you feel like you went through that at all or no? Oh, sure. No, fortunately, both of our families were really supportive. super supportive. Amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So actually my, um, my mom, my parents live uh, in New York and my mom, when I told her, you know, what had happened and what we were going to be doing, um, she flew down. That's awesome. Um, she wanted to be here. So that's so um, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it was really nice. So we went, um, so it was at UNC, which is a, you know, it's a really nice hospital and everything. And it was supposed to be this one day procedure, not, they weren't even going to put me out, just give me like the IV drugs and do the D&E. And it was supposed to be no big deal. But my cervix didn't get the memo. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. So, they give um, you side attack. Is that? Or, and I know there's multiple names for it, but mm -hmm. yep, they did. Um, so they get they did that, and it was just supposed to. Which I actually originally they gave it to me orally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which I thought was so strange. I've heard that doesn't work as well because it gets absorbed a little bit more. Yeah, I, unfortunately. Did I, yeah. Did you have to go through that, Amanda? Did you? Yeah, I. I I mean, I wasn't in the hospital doing it, but that was. Did it work for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I had to do like four pills and then eight hours or 12 hours later, another four pills, and it was vaginally. It wasn't orally. I had to do a vaginally one. I never did an oral one. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I've heard of it not working, and I've heard of it not working when you're further along. Um, mm -hmm. So that's probably in your situation because I was only, I think I was, I was 10 weeks when um, we did it at home. Okay. Yeah. So they did that and you give it time to work and then, you know, you go in and they set up, you know, they put the IV in and they do the whole thing. And, um, she couldn't get my cervix dilated. So then that was when they did, um, they put in the, the dilators, oh gosh. the osmotic dilators that they look like, um, little pieces of little Twizzlers. <laughs> Oh my god! Because they're like they're like red and and with like twisted wires, and they insert them, and I think the way it works is they're called osmotic dilators. I think because they like gather the water from your body and expand, so it's supposed to help open things up. Now, are you on like pain meds or anything at this point? They had given me the IV drugs um, to do the dilation, uh, but then it wasn't working, so they put the things in and I forget how many hours they left me there to wait for them to work. Which is so not, I my gosh, it's like so not fair. We're already having to go through obviously the most heartbreaking thing that no parent ever wants to go through. I mean, it's literally devastating. You're losing a child. Right. Mm -hmm. And now to like suffer through hours of like waiting, this like impeding thing. That's like, Oh my goodness. I cannot even that is. Yeah. So um, we had to wait a few more hours and then we tried again, you know, so they, you know, did the whole setup again and gave me more drugs, the whole thing. And she tried to take the dilators out and they would not budge. Oh my goodness. 
they were not coming out. Um, <laughs> At this point, is it too late to put you asleep? Put you to sleep? Put me under. Right? I don't want to know what's happening. I would be like, give me all the drugs. Yeah. So the doctor said, okay, well, there's one more thing we can maybe try. Let me go make a phone call and see. And my husband told me later that he could tell by the, like, I couldn't see because I was lying down, but he could tell from the look on her face that she was not optimistic. And a few minutes later, she came back and said, so you're going to have to come back tomorrow morning and like go into the OR and we're going to have to like put you under and do this. You're like, do it now. Why couldn't they do it right then? I'm like, I'm not going uh, back. Like, I know. Yeah. So they, they gave me more of the site attack and gosh. sent me home. Oh my gosh. Um, and the next morning Literally. she called my husband at like six 30 in the morning and said, we've got an OR. Can you be here in an hour? And horrible. Yeah. So it was a two day process. Wow. I'm Um, so sorry. That's, um, I appreciate you being so open and talking about it because it's not, you know, it's not just something that just like happens in an hour and you go home. No, not at all. It was not what I was expecting. You know, honestly, when I, you know, I'm very pro-choice and I always thought to myself, like if I was ever in a situation where I got pregnant and I was not in a good place to have a baby, that that would be what I would do. And I would deal with that. But when you think of that, you know, you, you never think that you're going to be in a situation where you're in a terminated pregnancy that you do want. And that you work so hard for, and you waited years for, and I mean, clearly you just told your whole story of getting up to that point. You guys were ecstatic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everyone was so excited and, and our families were excited. You know, we're the, I'm the oldest in my family and my husband's an only child. So there were, you know, no grandchildren were the first one. Um, you know, my sisters were going to be aunts and, you know, everyone was just crazy happy about it. Um, and then, you know, it came, you know, basically all came crashing down in one phone call. Yeah. So I'm sure it took a while to heal from that. Um, Oh yeah. We, we took more than a six month break from the whole thing. Of course. Right. Um, I mean, I can't even physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You need to. So, um, so then after that, we decided, well, we're going to do IVF now. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, like I don't want to. Ch- I don't want a chance having to go through that again. Exactly. Yeah. So we went through this process of creating. So the testing for specific genetic markers is called PGTM. Um, yes. I think is, is what the ter- terminology is, is now. Yeah. So which is different than the PGTA, right? Yes. Which is like what, like the like what I did and what Amanda did, just to say, like, hey, are these original? They don't test as in detail. Is that correct? Yeah. So for PGTM, so what we had to do was they have to create these things that they call genetic probes. So it involves, it involves getting blood from me and my husband. And then they also collected saliva samples from my parents and my in-laws. Oh, interesting. Um, And they used all that, all of the genetic information from all of us to put together these genetic probes, which I 
I'm not scientifically minded enough to know exactly how they work, <laughs> but it's a process to get them made. And to do that with IVF, you need to go through all that process and have the lab say, okay, we've got them, they're done before the clinic will start. And did that take a few months? Because I remember my clinic talking to us about this before, but how long did that process take to actually make the markers? Do you remember? Um, it took at least a month. Okay. It was, it was a little while because I remember us doing, going through that whole process over the summer. Um, and then we didn't start IVF until September. Okay. Yeah. So it was a month or two. Um, so then we, we do IVF and, you know, my doctor said, okay, well, you know, you've got the CAH, but you know, they did all my blood work. All of my hormones were normal. My AMH was fine. Um, so she said, this shouldn't be a big thing. You know, we should, it should go fine. Um, but I ended up having to stim for like two weeks. My follicles were just not growing. It took a while to get there. And then, um, the first egg retrieval, they got four eggs. Oh man. And I was like, you're like, my AMH is fine. What's going on? Like why? Yeah. Well, and all my ultrasounds, you know, had shown way more follicles than that. Oh, that's so discouraging. So not at all what as I was expecting that I actually, I mean, they had absolutely given me way too much anesthesia because I was like so out of it and crazy. <laughs> um, I, I was acting like I was kind of drunk and mm-hmm. I remember the doctor came in and actually, I'm not sure if I actually remember this or if my husband has just told me um, that when the doctor came in and said they only got four eggs and he was like, you know, I'm really sorry. I I don't know why. And um, I just said something stupid, like, well, can't you like go back and see if you can get more? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're like, I had so many vocals. Like you clearly, what are you doing? Yeah. Like just, you know, can I like just do another trigger shot and we can try again tomorrow? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. Like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how many of those four fertilized? So they all fertilized. Wow. That's great. Um, so we were like, okay, okay, this is good. You know, day three, everything is still good. Then we get to day five and they tell me, well, two of them are maybe still going. I'm like, okay. Um, and then we'd actually gone to the, to the, we always go apple picking in the mountains, like out to the Asheville area in the fall. So that was our weekends away. So then they call us back the next day when we were out and said, um, there's one that is still kind of hanging in, but it's not at the blastocyst stage yet. And are you on day seven at this point? This is day, so this is day six. Okay. So then the next morning was day seven and I got the call that it was over. The last one didn't make it either. Wow. Oh my God. So they got four eggs. They all fertilized, but none of them they made it. They made it to blast. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And that week, I mean, all of us have been there. Like, it's just agonizing. It really is. And especially you're like, okay, we're at day five, maybe. I mean, I remember me, we had the same exact situation happen where then it was like day five. We're like, okay, they're like maybe one. And then day six, they're like, okay, there's still hope. And then, you know, day seven, they're like, yeah, no, sorry, none. It's yeah. Well, and when it's your first cycle, you have no idea. Yeah. And coming from a place of not having like 
infertility. You guys are doing oh, the work yeah. testing. And that Great. was that was the same for me. We were doing it for reoccurrent loss and to only get, we ended up with one and we're like, what the heck? Like one. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, now I think, you know, doctors should never say things like that. They should never say like, oh, this should be a breeze. We'll get, you know, whatever. It- I, went into, I went into my egg retrieval and they were like, oh, we should get like, you know, like seven eggs. Like he like literally told me like how many, obviously we come out with way less. And I mean, it's so discouraging. Cause then you're like, he's the doctor. Of course I'm going to like, you know, right. what he's telling me. And then it's only hits. I feel like so much harder. Yeah. They really need to be better at managing expectations. Like it was only until, you know, my first cycle failed that the doctor said, well, the first cycle usually doesn't work. That's exactly yeah, the same thing. They're like, well, we'll set another round. Well, you'll get better results. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe you. First round, yeah. Right. Well, you know, I feel like you would have, again, managing expectations. If you tell us right up front, you're probably going to have to do more than one cycle. That just would have been helpful, I think. For sure. (laughs) So, but then my doctor had a bunch of ideas for how to change for round two. So we said, all right, well, we'll try it. So we jumped straight into round two. Um, you know, change things up because that's what you do. And, um, again, went through egg retrieval. It was the day after Thanksgiving. That was my egg retrieval and they got five. Oh, that's so frustrating. I was so annoyed. I, I could not believe it. And again, the doctor said, you know, I, I don't know why we didn't get more than that. So frustrating. So, and then out of those five, only one of them fertilized. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think it was even worse than the first time. That's what I was going to say. I think that's the worst when you're like, okay, well, I got one more egg, but, and then all of a sudden in 24 hours, you're like, whoa. And I mean, I I love that you said it was the day after Thanksgiving because people don't like realize like this happens during life. And I'm sure like your Thanksgiving was miserable. Uh, well, Thanksgiving was was actually great. I mean, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite <laughs> holiday. Um, and the food is so good. And I mean, I was feeling, you know, kind of bloaty and stuff. You know how it is right before yeah. they take them out. But um, again, I was optimistic. And, you know, my mother-in-law, you know, grabbed the, found the wishbone from the turkey and gave it to me and my Aww. husband. And we had that cute little <laughs> thing. Um, but then again, so, you know, the first time I feel like they gave me too much anesthesia. So the second time, because it was the day after Thanksgiving, we were the last procedure of the day. They were shutting down. Um, you know, they were only working in the morning and they definitely wanted us to get out as soon as possible. And they did not drug me well enough. I was in pain. Oh, I'm so sorry. So that was, that was irritating. <laughs> that we could tell like when the anesthesiologist came around to like you know take out my IV and everything like he was already back in his jeans he was ready to go oh my gosh <laughs> yeah, I'm like uh yeah no <laughs> so clearly they wanted to get to, us to, to go ASAP so they could close up so not the best experience in the end but um but again so then we got the one fertilized and nothing didn't turn into blastocyst so we still had nothing two rounds in and you can't even get to the pgtm testing right yeah we haven't even gotten that far you know forget getting to a transfer oh yeah yeah Yeah. so 
then we didn't know what to do. You know, we took a little bit of a break. Because at this point, it's what? We're, you're in 2019 or you're about- So now this is the end of 2019. Yeah. So, you know, then, you know, we get into the beginning of 2020 and we all know what happened then. So there was, you know, a period of time where we were doing nothing because the clinics were closed. And which is, you know, it's so frustrating when you can't do anything. You can't do anything. And like in your situation and and actually all three of our situations, like we know we can conceive naturally. So then you're like, it's just a different type of pressure. I feel like you have to just be so controlled of like, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do. And I have to wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, my husband was really against doing another round of IVF because which can't blame him. Oh yeah. <laughs> We'd done two rounds and come up with nothing. So expensive. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys, you know, your insurance covers it, but I mean, it's Oh no. Mm-mm. financial side of it alone is Oh so yeah. Yeah, and we're, you know, I'll admit that we're super privileged to have been able to do it and our parents helped us out and we have good jobs because um there was no no fertility coverage at all. You know, and we have good insurance. They just choose not to cover it because they don't have to. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows. So, I mean, it's one of the worst things about this country, you know, that and the terrible maternity leave policy, by which I mean, there isn't one. So. Exactly. (laughs) So when the, when they finally open back up, oh, oh, okay. So this is the other big thing. Um, So all of this through all this time, you know, when doing the egg retrievals and everything, I have not gotten my period once. Wait, what? Still? Yeah. And you know, no, after not- after an egg retrieval, you get your period, right? And, it, you've yeah, and I don't even know how to say this the right way, but it's almost like, okay, that it, it's it's over, and like my body can restart, and I'm getting all like the medicines and everything, like because you, the lining is so different than just a natural cycle at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nope, never happened. I would get the symptoms of having my period, like getting the headache, the hormone headache and stuff like that, but no blood. Um, and my doc, the doctor at the fertility clinic had no clue why it didn't, she couldn't figure it out. It made no sense. Could they see if you were ovulating? Like, could they see any, like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I get, well, yeah, you went through the, the egg retrieval. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, without the egg retrieval, fine, I didn't get a period. You know, I don't necessarily ovulate on my own. But after the egg retrieval, not getting a period is super weird. Mm-hmm. So weird, yeah. So, um, so then we just, we did a couple rounds of induced ovulation, just figuring we were going to take our chances um, with the genetics. But it didn't work. I never got, I didn't, we did two or three rounds um, and I never got pregnant. Did they give you any like statistics of like, okay, so you had one child that, you know, winded up having it and like for a second one, is it like, does it decrease your chances of the baby having the same genetic? It doesn't. Um, every single time it's the, um, it's the exact same odds. It's always 75, 25. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my father is a, is a statistician and, you know, he's, he's a math guy. So he tried to be yeah. like, you know, make us feel better. Like, oh, well, you know, statistically your odds go down. It's like, well, usually that's the case, but genetics doesn't work like that. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, but then we didn't have to worry about it because it didn't work. So, um, 
you know, at this point, we get up to the summer of 2020. And finally, my doctor says, you know, why, I, I have an idea. I'm going to, why don't you see this other doctor who is more knowledgeable about CAH than I am, um, also local. So I said, all right. So we met with him and um, we didn't like him much. He was very, um, very much like that stereotypical kind of arrogant doctor type. Yeah. Um, But when I told him about like not getting the period or anything, he said, you know, well, you know, the whole story, he said, that's, that's not right. You know, there's something, there's something going on in your body that, that shouldn't be. And so he suggested doing a saline sonogram to check things out, which I had never been done before. So, but of course, since, you know, we thought he was like this weird guy, we went back to the other clinic and said, Hey, can you do this? So they did the saline sonogram and it was awful. Um, yeah, it was really tough. H, is this the HSG or the SHG? Do the, you remember? They're kind of the same. I think the SHG, which is like this, it's a little bit more invasive and painful. Mm-hmm. No, this was just the saline sonogram, so it shouldn't have been a big deal. But yeah. again, my cervix didn't feel like cooperating. So um, it was not good. Oh my, I was almost traumatic. Like it brought me back to oh, like having the DNA. Yeah. Um, and of course, because it was COVID, I was in there by myself. My husband wasn't there. Oh my goodness. They wouldn't let him back with you. No, they wouldn't let him in the building at all. Oh gosh. Um, and he hadn't even gone with me. I'd driven myself because it shouldn't, it was supposed to be no big deal. Yeah. Um, so it was terrible, but they found nothing. So I said, well, all right, I guess everything's okay. So we kind of continued. Um, but then what ended up happening was I was emailing with my doctor and like calling her and stuff like that. And sometime around midsummer, she just stopped responding to me. She just ghosted me. What? Your doctor? Yeah. Did she like leave practices? Like I'm like, what? No, she just, she just stopped answering my emails and, and, and stopped calling me back. She just disappeared. Boy, is this is- a private clinic or is this through Duke or private. private? Okay. This was a private one. Yeah. So we are like, well, I guess we're going to go back to the other clinic, which was UNC. And this is the doctor that was like, kind of. Yeah. So I went back, I ended up calling him back and he said, Hey, you know, what happened? Did you have the a saline sonogram? And I said, yeah, I had it. And they didn't find anything wrong. And he said, that's no, no, there's something wrong yeah, yeah. there. That's not right. I'm scheduling you for a hysteroscopy. Okay. Yep. So I said, okay, I went in for a hysteroscopy again, something else that had never been done to me before. Mm-hmm. And almost as soon as that doctor got the camera in, they hit a wall. Really? Like what do you, I had scar tissue covering my cervix. From the... From the DNA, probably. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So the doctor broke through the scar tissue and blood just came pouring out. <gasps> so it had been like piling up, basically. Yep. What has happened? 
Oh my goodness. Because I had gotten my period after each egg retrieval, so at least twice, but the blood was blocked. It had nowhere to go. healthy just sitting there. I have never heard of that. I mean, I've heard of scar tissue of your cervix, but like, oh my goodness. Okay. So now you love the doctor. I know. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite person ever figured it out. (laughs) So it was like, you know, oh my God. What a (laughs) relief. What an absolute relief. And it is still a complete mystery how the other clinic managed to miss it. Yeah. No clue how that is is possible that they missed it. But um, so that was that solved. (laughs) Um, Yeah, which is like incredible that he figured that out. That's right. So that explained why with all the times, you know, like the timed um, like induced ovulation and time sex, why I never got pregnant because yeah. your cervix is blocked. It's not going to happen. Not gonna go th- yeah, exactly. So we ended up, so he said, okay, well, you know, we can do induced ovulation, um, or we can try IVF again. And let me tell you, I had a time con- convincing my husband to do round three. I'm but sure it was a tough sell. Yeah. Um, but I said, you know, I had talked to the doctor. I said, look, here's what we've done in the past. What would you do? That's going to be totally different mm-hmm. because we're not going to do the same thing again. Obviously that would be dumb. Yeah. So then, so his idea was we did like the Lupron down regulation. So we did that for three weeks and then he switched up the meds a little bit after that. And then by then I was you know, deep into the Instagram community and, you know, made some friends and learned, you know, done a ton of my own research and become much more knowledgeable. And um, so I insisted on adding the omnitrope. The doctor said, you know, I asked him about it and he was, he kind of said, eh, you know, he didn't really believe that it had any use, but he was like, it's not going to hurt anything if you want to do it. Yeah. So my thought was, yeah. So my thought was, um, I'm just going to try everything. Oh yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to do it all because if it doesn't work, I don't want to have to say, well, what if I had done whatever? Like, Oh, I got to do another fourth one. At that point, you're probably like, absolutely not. And I'm my husband, that was, that was our, yeah. I mean, we made a deal, a very serious deal. I promise it is. This is the end. This is all we're doing. And so, but that, so then go into my third egg retrieval. And my thinking was, okay, if I can get 10, we can get 10 eggs. I will be so thrilled. They got 21. Oh, oh my gosh. That's insane. You Were you so mad at the previous clip? I mean, because what I'm thinking about is the DNA was before your IVF cycle. So I'm wondering if even that had some, some impact on the number of eggs you had. Oh, it might have. Absolutely. Oh, so like, okay, you know, congratulations. The, That's awesome. Yeah. So the first, cause the first clinic had just started saying like, well, your egg quality must be bad because they just had no other ideas. Yeah. Wow. So 21. So I was like, so that was double what I, I was hoping for. I knew it was in there. <laughs> it was amazing. And, and then how many of them we got 13 fertilized. Wow. That's awesome. So we're like, all right, we're, you know, we're doing, we're getting somewhere. For sure. So we ended up with four embryos. 
Wow, which is the furthest you've been. Yeah, so we finally had something to send off for the testing. Yep. Um, so then we ended up, so after testing, we ended up with two. So one of them was affected with the, with the Joubert, and then one of them just had a chromosomal abnormality because they did the PGTA testing as well because you might as well do the whole, do, do all of it. Yeah. Um, so we had two. Which and awesome. yeah, so we transferred the first one. So this was crazy because it was my first time doing a transfer, even though it was my third IVF cycle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, it worked. And I was pregnant. So we were just, everyone was so thrilled because we knew that it was a normal embryo and tested everything great. Yeah. Everything was going to be perfect. It was all going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, went to the six week ultrasound. Everything was good. Eight week ultrasound. Um, so the clinic set me free after the eight weeks. Graduated. Yep. Graduate. So then I didn't have another appointment until 11 weeks at my regular doctor. And I go in and, you know, we do the exam, but then she pulls out the Doppler to listen to the heartbeat. And she says, you know, if we can't find the heartbeat with the Doppler, I'll just pull out the ultrasound. Don't worry. It happens. Yeah. So she couldn't find the heartbeat with the Doppler, pulled out the ultrasound, still nothing. So she sent me back to, cause they, you know, they have those little ultrasounds that they just kind of like wheel in on a cart. Yeah. The portable ones that, yeah, like, that are not great quality. Yeah. So she sent me to get a legit ultrasound, um, you know, the transvaginal and, um, my embryo was still measuring at eight weeks and the heartbeat was gone. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Um, and again, it was still, you know, so by now we're in, uh, mid 2021 but they're still not letting me bring someone with me to the appointment. So I'm by myself again. Gosh, Mike, this is so sad. Like your spouse should be able to be in there with you, especially when you're news like that, like that, you should not have to do that alone. Yeah. And I, I feel like I can resonate from like the fact of like graduating from the fertility clinic and like thinking you're like almost like you're almost like we, I mean, we announced when we graduated from the fertility clinic and it was the same time as yours. I mean, that's just, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, we hadn't fortunately, I mean, only our families knew, but then I just like, I got back out to my car. As soon as I got in the car, I just screamed. Yeah. I mean, right. Don't mind. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, and then had to call my husband and tell him what happened. So you're reliving it right then again, having to share that. Yep. So then literally, how did you drive home? Like I, I don't know. I think I was probably just like on autopilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodness. I can remember clear as day. Our first loss, my husband didn't come with, with me. It was our very first pregnancy. I somehow got out of the clinic without crying and just being like so stoic of like, okay. Um, and then as soon as I got in the car and like he answered, I could, I don't think I could say anything. I just started bawling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That was, I, I don't even remember what I said. When I called him, the worst feeling ever. Oh my goodness. Um, especially since it was a tested embryo. Yeah, absolutely. You had zero, you had no reason to think that this was going to happen. And especially like once you hear that heartbeat and see the heart or see the heartbeat on the ultrasound, you're like, okay, like our chance of miscarriage goes down significantly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And as a tested embryo, like didn't even think it was a possibility. So many people that are not in this community don't realize is that like, even though it is tested, like this still happens. Like people then think, well, it's genetically tested. You did IVF. Like you'll have an easy, like breeze through pregnancy. Everything's going to be fine. But like, no, miscarriage still happens. Like even if it's genetically tested. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, it doesn't test for every single little thing. It can't. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So, and then of course it was a mis miscarriage. You know, yeah. I'd had no, I had no, I'd had no clue. Um, and so I, they told me, you know, okay, you know, your options are to take, you know, you could take the side attack. Um, you can wait and see if your body will do it on, on its own, or you can schedule the DNC. So I chose to schedule the DNC because I was like, well, clearly my body is not going to get the memo. Yeah. Um, and I just did not, I just felt like for like mentally, I didn't want to deal with doing the site attack and miscarrying and like having it happen at home. Yeah. yeah I refused to schedule the DNC. Um, the first couple times I did like a few naturally, then I did the side attack and after the side attack experience, the next time it happened, I was like DNC, let's schedule it today before I even leave the clinic because I want to be put out and I put out, I want to go under and be done and move on and not have to know like when like the impending doom of like waiting i yeah. honestly if i could go back in time i would have done a d i wish i would have done a dnc because yeah. like, still to yeah. this day i it happened like in a certain bathroom and i like literally would not be able to walk into that bathroom yeah. like it was it's still triggering so we yeah we've moved since ours but i told my husband he actually asked a few months ago he's like what's your favorite part about living in this house i said that i literally had four miscarriages in the other house and i don't have to yeah in this have those memories sorry yeah. off track. okay not so in that space <laughs> anymore <laughs> yeah so you scheduled your dnc yep so we we did that and so then we're like, all right, well, we've got one more embryo. Um, but they did, I guess, another saline sonogram just to check out, you know, post DNC, check on the uterus. Um, I had more scar tissue. That's what's going to ask you yeah. because you yeah. had that trauma and that, that when you're scheduling this DNC, you're like, what well, could happen again? Um, I actually don't think I thought about it. I was not thinking about that at all. Um, so when I had, and again, it wasn't like in the same spot. It was just kind of Everywhere. in a bunch of different places. Yeah. So they were like, well, you know, obviously we're not going to do a transfer with your uterus like this. So um, went in for hysterectomy, hysterectomy, hysteroscopy um, <laughs> for them to clear it out. Um, but then while the doctor was in there during the hysteroscopy, she told me later you know, that she'd found that she thinks that during the DNC, um, they had kind of taken out too much, like on one side. So I had kind of some damage in my uterus um, that she said, you know, I just want you to be on like estrogen for like a month to help repair it mm-hmm. before doing another transfer. So I said, all right. And so then this was, I guess, like, June, July of 21. Um, and that kicked off a whole series. So like pretty much all of 2021 was spent trying to get my uterus in good shape. Yeah. And I know like we're kind of speeding it up cause we're, you know, we're at the end, but like yeah. even those, even the like, okay, well now this is another thing that's happened and you're going to have to take even longer until we can do the transfer. I'm sure that in itself, I mean, I know it's a mental 
it's a mental barrier. I'm like, oh my gosh, this we've been trying since 2018 and it's almost 2022. Yeah. Yep. And then, so it was so crazy. So we spent like all of 21 trying to get my uterus into a good place. And then, so we, we finally get to the second transfer, February of 2022. Wow. And it didn't work. Wait, what? Wait, I did what? A man and I had different information here. What? <laughs> it didn't work. Um, we were, it did not work. We were out of embryos. It was like, I, what do we do? Yeah, I'm so, well, yeah, because at this point you're like, well, we're not doing another round of IVF, right? I convinced, I like couldn't convince my husband otherwise. Uh, I, I went, we started thinking like, do we want to do donor eggs? Do we want to do embryo adoption? It turns out the clinic I work with, um, their wait list for embryo adoption was super long. Yeah. So we're like, well, I guess we're not doing that. So we started on the eggs and I, oh my goodness, we were just having such a, I was having a really hard time with it. it. You know, like we went on, on the database and like picked out possibilities for donors and did everything. And I just like had this block where I couldn't say, go, let's do it. Like having to grieve that process. Like I know for me, like I really had to like grieve, like, okay, we're not using like my eggs anymore. Like this is not happening. And so like, that is so hard to like say, okay, yep, we're going to move forward and no longer. I mean, then it's like, you're yeah. Cause it felt, you know, it felt like a failure. And you know, logically that it's not because it's not your fault, yes. but it feels like it, you know, been, yeah. been doing all this hard work, you know, and like, what do you, what do you mean it's over? There's gotta be something else I can do. Um, so we started, we even, we started, we found a, um, uh, a therapist who specialized in fertility stuff. And we started going and we were trying to figure out what are we going to do? Um, you know, because adoption is a whole other thing of, you know, to jump into that has its own craziness yeah, and absolutely. could take a really long time. And we'd already been doing this for a long time. And I, know, I was just counting. I mean, you're at four years. At yep. This yep. So we didn't know what to do. We're trying to figure this out. So we figure, well, in the meantime, let's check on my uterus, make sure the scar tissue hasn't come back again. Everything's okay. So we go back to the clinic and they can't do the saline sonogram because my pregnancy test was positive. Yay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So So natural. Yep. So again, so I don't know if I'm the only person in the world who's had like two surprise pregnancies. Yeah. Cause, oh my gosh. I, but I, okay. So you're like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. But then I'm sure that I'm immediate, like, okay, but, okay, but like, what is the genetic situation? Yeah. Right. Like fear would creep in instantly. Right. So apparently, so again, and, and I didn't think it was even possible because, so I'd gotten my period after the failed transfer. Um, but then thinking about like when it must've happened, I ovulated like a week after my, getting my period, which is strange timing. Yeah, it is. That's, yeah. Alyssa, I didn't know this. I read your bio yeah, and I thought your second knew. transfer worked. Yeah. We just assumed the transfer worked. I did not see this coming. <laughs> no, nope. kind of fun being on the other I know. side. Because normally we like, no. Yes. 
Um, I actually changed the bio in my um, recently, wondering if anybody would notice because <laughs> I have not <laughs> announced it. Oh, you have. Oh, yeah. I noticed that you hadn't announced it yet. And mm -hmm. so my actually, I have a family member that's pregnant and they're due in December. And I was like, OK, I was like trying to do all the math real quick. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So wait, we're in, we're in June, June 5th yeah. and you found out in February. So I found out in, in April. April. So again, April. I was six weeks pregnant before finding out. And you're like, gosh, now I'm going to have to wait another six weeks to do this genetic test again. Yes. So it was really tough. Um, but yeah. so we found out a week ago that Everything is okay. Gosh, I'm gonna cry. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. We are oh, so finally. So it is a serious, serious miracle that this kid really wants to be here. I have chills on my entire body. That's, That's incredible. So 13 weeks. 14. Yeah. Yay. So the whole story was crazy. So this is a very it's a very fitting, crazy ending. Oh it is. God. It's beautiful. I know the gender. Not yet. We're actually, so I picked up the envelope and because, you know, with the genetic testing, they can fill that. Yeah. Um, so I had them put it in an envelope and I took it to a bakery. So my parents just, again, coincidentally are going to be here this week. Oh my gosh, so we're just going to have a little party with, um, oh and my sister's coming. So my sister and my parents and my in-laws, and we're just going to do the, a little cake. And so we're going to find out this week. I am so thrilled for you. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Such a happy ending to an extremely long journey. That's for sure. We are so excited for you. Thank you. Yeah. We're, we're so like, I know we're gonna have to stalk your Instagram to find out <laughs> if it's a boy or girl. Now I'm so invested. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so fun. Oh, well, is there any advice or anything? Obviously, this is a huge journey you've been through, and then everything, you know, with the DE and everything you've gone through. Is there any advice that you have for someone who may be walking the same path that you went through? I think what my biggest lesson was through everything was do your do your own research and be your own advocate because the doctors don't necessarily know more than you yeah. you know now we can go on the internet and find whatever information we want and you know especially if you have a diagnosis like i did that the doctors don't necessarily, you know, don't necessarily know much about because it's not very commonly diagnosed. You definitely know more than your doctor because it's your diagnosis and it's your body. Yeah. So you're going to focus on that. I mean, like for me, like I found on Instagram, some girls that had had five plus miscarriages and they're like, we did Lovenox. We had zero diagnosis. We did Lovenox. And now like they have had their baby this is my seventh pregnancy. We did the Lovenox. I can't say if it was a placebo or it worked, but I'm still pregnant, you know? Yeah. And, and no, the physician, that was me telling the physician, Hey, I found on Instagram, these girls did Lovenox. He's like, okay. Great. Well, that's, <laughs> that's where I got, that's where I got the Omnitrope from. And yeah. my doctor was just like, sure. If you want to. Yeah. He's like, they were like, it's not going to do any harm. I mean, it's, it's probably not going to do anything and it might not have, but I'm still pregnant. So, yeah. you know, right. Yeah, you don't you don't know. So it's just 
you just have to do what feels right for you. And that's how I feel. And if the doctor says, well, it's not going to hurt anything, then I'm going to do it. At it. Yeah. Especially four years in. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to an extent you're like, yeah, I'm going to try this. Well, oh my gosh. Okay. So again, it's at fun with fertility. I'm sure eventually you will announce on there, but I also, I will, I will before this airs, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I can't believe I actually managed to squeeze all that in in such a, I mean, I, yes, it was amazing. <laughs> I think I've told the story enough times now. <laughs>